You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here, without Lydia. This is a very different episode that we're going to do. It's a bonus episode. So we're not going to be talking about a movie. Well, we might. I don't know if we're going to end up talking about movies. I kind of, my brain drifts there a lot of the times. Today is going to be a little bit of an origin point for me because all of us come from somewhere, normally parents, unless you're grown in a tube, and not judging. Um, A lot of people have always wondered where my macabre sense of humor would come from, where my love of horror movies would come from the sort of darker aspects of life, why I would find that entertaining. And I don't really have a solid answer because to me, I could, I could explain eloquently the psychological reasons why I could possibly like these things. Or I could be a sophomoric as saying, well, horror movies did have a lot of tits in it. So I would kind of seek those out because I would be guaranteed some nudity. So there's all kinds of different reasons why I'd be interested in that. But A lot of times when people meet my mother, they can at the very least see where some of it might come from, or at least where it was a household where it would be encouraged. Not encouraged, but allowed passively. I'm sure there was limitations to what I could and could not see. I didn't really know what they were. I was kind of allowed to watch what I wanted with very few exceptions. And my mom always understood that... It was entertainment. One of the things that I always find interesting about parents in general is how much you don't know about them. When my father was alive, I was still at an age where I didn't really pay much attention to what his life must have been like before I was born. After he died, I became really interested in what family life was like before I was around, before my brother was around, before he met my mother. And so lately, I've been using these opportunities to talk to my mother a lot more, trying to figure out a lot more information about where I came from and the kinds of people that she was and he was when they were young. And because of that, I discovered a very interesting factoid about my own mother that I had no idea about. And one day we started talking about it and I just said, you know, goddamn, I like I want to put this on mics because this is really interesting. And I think that it'd probably be pretty entertaining. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. This might not be entertaining at all, but it's a free podcast and you clicked on it yourself. So if you don't like it, don't worry. <laughs> there's, there's more coming where we're going to talk about movies. But for this time, I would like to introduce my mother, Ruth. Hello. Hi. Hello, <laughs> podcast world. <laughs> Now, don't be timid. The microphone won't kill you. Oh, okay. So, um, let me ask you this. Yeah. What I learned about you, and we'll just go right into it. Sure. Was that when you were working for Black's Photography. Yeah. You were... Uh, when did you start working there, sorry? I started in commercial photo finishing about age 17. Full time. Full time. Yeah. And I think I think by the time I was 18 or so, I was working for Blacks. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, about that age. Now, for those of you who don't know, Blacks Photography 
is or was uh, a chain of photo development stores. You basically go in there, get your pictures developed, buy some cameras, that kind of jazz. And they were all over the country, weren't they? Was it international or was it just uh, no, a Canadian it company? It was a Canadian company. As far as I know, I don't recall anything international. Okay. Yeah. So you started working there. Yeah, when I was about 18. And at that point, um, they weren't all the tiny little one-hour labs. It was uh, one central commercial photo finishing place where all the film that came into the different stores would come and be developed and then sent back to the various stores that they came from. While I was working there, we would on occasion get crime lab photos from the various police departments. And I found that interesting because to me, I always would have assumed that they would have done that in-house. They did, and I am not quite sure. I never, I never was sure the reason for them bringing it to us other than their own lab was backed up. They needed it usually the same day and within a, a short period of time. Um, unfortunately, I was young and didn't really think of asking those kinds of questions. Yeah, that's that's the, one of the first things that I wanted to touch on. You're 17, 18 years old, yeah. whatever. Why, why would adults come to a teenager and ask them to participate in this? Was there nobody else in the store willing to do it? or There probably was, but... It was strictly a volunteer type thing. You could say no because it wasn't something that everybody wanted to partake in for their own personal reasons. I just always seemed to be there. <laughs> I don't know. It, um, they would come and ask me and I'd kind of look around and nobody else was sticking their hand up. So I would kind of bite the bullet and say, okay, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of became a thing. So you became the designated... Pretty much. Now, I mean, there were other people too that, that also did it, but it seemed to be there was a, a group of us or a few of us that were kind of dependent upon to do it, and we would congregate. Mm -hmm. um, what would happen was... A police officer would bring in the film or the negatives, depending. Sometimes it was reprints of already uh, processed film that they needed to have done for a court case. Sometimes it was the initial crime scene photos or uh, coroner's photos, depending. Um, they would bring them in. The police officer would hand them to the specific person who was going to handle that film or those negatives from start to finish. They would follow all the way through the various stages with you to make sure that film was not tampered with, that instructions were followed to the letter, that um, everything that they asked for, dimensions, uh, exposure, anything that they needed at all was followed to the letter because that officer could be called and was often 
called to the courts of law to testify that they had accompanied that film or those negatives from the beginning to the finish. Is that so? It was so that nobody could come back and say evidence had been tampered with or photos had been tampered with. They needed an eyewitness all the time. Okay. And that's, yeah, so they would just... Did you ever think it? Did you ever think that you were too young to be doing this type of work? No, I was interested. I was. I was um, captivated. Isn't the right word. I was curious, um, interested in the details of, or or what details I could find out because certainly they couldn't disclose everything. But you knew enough to know that it was a a murder, it was a you know a suspicious death, it was uh, an autopsy, whatever it was splatter pictures um, because quite often it would be uh, blood splatter that they would be taking to court to prove a method of murder oh no no joke like um like uh, in dexter how that guy is like a blood splatter expert and he re okay yes i actually recall one case and i i'm not going to go into any detail except to say that dr henry lee who is a leading forensics expert was and still is at the time the foremost person to go to for blood splatter um expertise this guy became kind of a minor celebrity in the in the true crime world because of how good he was at his job exactly and i do recall having um blood splatter evidence that he was presenting to the court and of course everything had to be very specific as to size and everything like had to be just so but yeah um Seriously, it was one of the things that kind of caught my attention and made me go, wow, like interesting stuff and and look at what they can do now. Of course, so much more now than what it was then, but still it was pretty fascinating. Yeah, let me ask you, like back in the, this would have been the 70s or... Late 60s, early, well, yeah. Early seventies. Early, early, yeah. Okay, early seventies. Yeah. Sorry, I have a hard time. Yeah, uh, I know. Me too. <laughs> it, it seems like forever, but yeah, yeah. So, what exactly were you expected beyond just developing the photos? And how much how much time did you have with the photos, or were you literally just running it through the machines? We were well. We were literally running it through the machines, but we would take the film into to the dark room strip it, put it through the processor, knead uh, it at the other end, take it off, take it to the printer, print it. It it never left your hands and the police officer never left your side. Did the police officers, because again, and I don't mean, I'm so fixated on how young you were when you were doing this, because I can't imagine nowadays it, they would let 
somebody, anybody that age deal with these photos and just think it's okay? Like, do you think that had to have been like a sign of the times, like where it was just, well, it needed to be done and they didn't really consider it. And, and this, you were the professional that was doing the job. And I they don't didn't... think that's how they were looking at it. They weren't concerned. What they were concerned with was, could you put this film through from the beginning to the end with integrity? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really all they were concerned about. I do recall the very first photos that I ever did were actually of an autopsy. Okay. And I don't recall the details, but anyway, I wasn't sure and I was kind of hesitant and I was going, okay, I have to do this. And the police officer that was with me was a young woman and she said to me, what you have to do is look at this as though it's a slab of beef on a butcher's cutting board. It's meat. Don't think of it beyond that. And that sounds harsh and it sounds really cold, but it got me through those first very graphic, very gruesome photos because there was nothing left to the imagination. And all I could think of was, thank God I wasn't in the room with the body because that would have been even more impactful. Anyway, that that was her advice and I stuck with that and as young as I was, it got me through. And it is different to people. A lot of times um, in my life, mm-hmm. people kind of find it interesting uh, how much I love horror, how much I'm steeped in it, how much I find true crime fascinating. Yeah. All of it. All, all of the really dark, macabre stuff. Mm-hmm. But it is different watching a movie and yeah. seeing special effects and actors. Yeah. And then when you're you look at... A crime scene photo because I mean they're online and and they and they'll catch your eye or yeah. you'll be watching. Recently, I had watched a, a documentary about a few uh, serial killers on Netflix, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of crime scene photos in there, and it's just different when yeah. you're looking at it. it like is. you know, and and I get squeamish and I get disturbed, and those images will stick with me more than the most graphic and and terrible thing I've seen in a horror movie because well, my brain knows that that is a special effect. Those are actors. Exactly. This didn't really happen. Yeah. But when you're looking at a body of, of someone who has been killed mm-hmm. either through natural or unnatural causes, yeah. there's just this real sense of finality to it. And you're like, this is not a dummy. This is not a special effect. No. This is this person is not going to get up after the scene is shot and go have a smoke. This is the absolute end of this person's story. Exactly. So, I mean, you would have to have a disconnect. You would have to look at it through the viewpoint of meat, of yeah. beef on a butcher's table, or however the police officers framed it. Yeah. And, and you're just dealing with this as, oh, I'm just developing the photos. Yeah. You weren't in the room taking the photos. Exactly. And, you, and you're not a police officer, so you're not dealing with it every day. Exactly. So there's a real sense of... Like there's this, there's this, this weird mentality about these people that do this job every day and how to not take it home with you. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know how they don't take it home with them, except to say there is a lot of dark humor. Mm-hmm. There is um, what we refer to as gallows humor. Mm-hmm. Medical students. Yeah. Our grand or that kind of thing. Doctors, nurses, anybody who works in the health industry laugh sometimes because it's a coping method. It's cathartic. Exactly. You can't cry. 
You can't be a bleeding heart over every case, although you want to be. You need to let it out somehow, and quite often it's through humor. Um, one instance, I was developing some photos, and they were of an elderly woman who had deceased in her home. And the photos were taken for that reason, because they had to determine whether anything not involving natural causes had occurred. The poor woman had been there for several days, and unfortunately she had a small dog. And sorry for disturbing, but the dog, rather than starve, had used her body as a, a source of Nutrition. So the dog had eaten the body? Uh, partially, yes. Had been doing a little chewing. Mm -hmm. The case definitely had a name attached to it. This was a person, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody understood that and respected that. It also had a file number. The case also had an unofficial name. Mm -hmm. And the unofficial name was Puppy Chow. Puppy Chow. If you talked about Puppy Chow or if you mentioned it, everybody knew what case you were referring to. And that would have been just one of possibly many nicknames for files mm -hmm. that came across the desks of police officers. And I can understand why some people could, the knee-jerk reaction would be to be offended by yeah. something like that. Yeah. But I mean... It's a it, method of coping. It, you know, it's sometimes the only thing you can do is try to be a little reductive. The gravity of the situation, yeah. how sad it is. Mm -hmm you're right i mean you can just become incredibly sad yeah but then you're not doing your job exactly so it's easier to just sort of laugh it off yeah. and of course that's nothing that you would say to the families involved oh, or, my, or anything oh, like no. that but I mean, one thing that you have to understand is first responders police officers firemen anybody who is in that uh, health care anybody who is in that kind of work are kindness in itself yeah. when they're dealing with families. They can be a little cool and collected. Yeah. They have to be to protect themselves. They can't take everything home with them. Yeah. They have to bear in mind that this is not their personal tragedy, but they are concerned. They are caring. They do give a shit yeah. in a big way yeah. about what is happening to people, families, victims it's important to them but they have to be able to deal with it too so it's done through humor it's done by detachment to a certain degree you know but i mean their hearts are definitely there hmm. um i have a uh, so even though lydia is not here she wanted to be unfortunately our schedules couldn't match up for this time um, even just recording regular episodes for the show can be a little tricky. Um, but I figured since this was a bonus episode, we could just pass it along and say, well, okay, Lydia will sit out for this one. But she did want to ask you a few questions. That's and I think right. they're good I'm ones. I'm sorry I missed her. Hi, Lydia. <laughs> I'm sure you'll meet her one day. Um, even though she's not here, her presence shall be felt because she has some dynamite questions that I'd like right. to field to you. Lydia, for people who don't know, has a lot of her schooling in journalism. Mm -hmm. 
And so she asks better questions than I ever do. Um, Because to to me, I'm just like having a conversation and I'm talking to my mother. So like, I'm just like, so mom, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But uh, so a couple of the questions I'm going to read off to you. Uh, Question number one, what were your first thoughts when it became apparent you'd be working with real crime scene photos and that they would be more than most people ever get to or want to see? I think. I was almost too young to worry about that. My first and probably knee-jerk reaction was, no, I don't want to, but nobody else is sticking their hand up. That was my first reaction. Then once I got through the first time and realized that, yeah, it wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't horribly awful either, my curiosity was piqued. I wanted to know about the perpetrators of crimes. What what made these people do these things? I was curious. I was curious about the people who brought these killers to justice. How did you know whether something was natural or something was an unnatural death? I, I wanted to know it all. I wanted to know about the forensics behind it. I just became very curious. Now, did you always have that sort of macabre tinge to you? Was it always in the recesses? I think it must have been. I don't, I don't actively recall waking up one morning and going, gee, I'm interested in this stuff. Yeah. I think it grew over time. I think it, it started out possibly with this. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe because we had been exposed to health issues in our family from a young age. We were never shielded from illness, mm-hmm. old age, death. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all a part of life. Mm-hmm. So we were always interested, curious, questioning my sister and I. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, I got into this, as I say, it was occasional photo finishing uh, of crime scene photos and other types of photos. Then it grew from there to reading about true crime and also with association through friends who were studying criminology and they would go oh my gosh you should uh, you should take a look at this it's so interesting and I mean maybe it was interesting to them because that was the field they were studying but to be a friend and and you know to to enhance conversations and for me to learn and to grow I would read things that they suggested such as uh, the book Hunting Humans mm. absolutely fascinating and I think it still required reading in criminology courses, I now, could be wrong. Now, for those of, those of us who don't know, um, what is uh, Hunting Humans Hunting all about? Hunting Humans is about uh, serial killers mm-hmm. and the psychology behind why they do what they do. It, mm-hmm. It's just an interesting read. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, that's about it. There's really not a lot to say about it, except that if you're interested in that, go ahead and read it. You might learn something that you didn't know. The second question here is, uh, did you ever recognize anyone or any of the places in the photographs? And if so, was there ever a conflict of interest? I did recognize one place, and I'm not going to go into the story. Um, As a matter of fact, not too long ago, I was trying to look up some information because I went, oh my gosh, I remember this person. I, I I didn't know the person, but I remember the name kind of came to mind because it was not long after our conversation initially. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, she was found deceased in an area that I was well acquainted with. Um, Unfortunately, I can't remember how it turned out or whether they caught the the perpetrator or not. Mm -hmm. 
But, um, yeah, there was one place in particular, it was kind of towards the west end of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we're all familiar with the Ottawa River and occasional floaters that are found there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Well, for people people in the Ottawa area, yeah. the Ottawa River basically runs through the city and it's massive. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes there'll definitely be bodies in there. Exactly. So, you know, there was always uh, a few of those cases cropping up. But no, personally, I never knew anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, there never was a conflict of interest. And I think if a name had have flown up at me or... If something seemed to be hitting too close to home, I would have backed off pretty quickly. This is only my personal experience, but even if you don't know the person who died, when you find out that a person has died in an area, for me, I think about it almost all the time I'm back in that area. I remember when we were kids growing up Mm -hmm. in the south end of Ottawa, and there was a body that was found in a running car in the trunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the parking lot near one of the the shopping malls, right? And 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 to this day, every time I go by that area, yeah. I always think about the time that there was a body there, or um, th- or the train tracks near that area too, where they mm-hmm. had found all those bodies buried, or you know, if you found some, if someone has died in a house right. or something like that, you're like, ooh, there's like, you almost get this sense that. Oh, it's different in here now. Yeah, and and then and but it's funny because you think about how many people there are around, and you know everybody eventually none of us gets out of this world alive. Exactly. So I mean, you'd think eventually like there would be a lot of times where where many areas have had bodies in them, mostly in people's homes. But well, yeah, it's it, just it, that most people don't meet with such untimely and mm-hmm. unseemly a... ends, you know? Yeah. We tend to think in terms of hospitals and, you yeah. know, sudden heart attacks, you know, while somebody is doing something that makes them happy, whatever that may be. Um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't think, oh, you know, Uncle Joe Blow is going to get his throat slit tomorrow on the corner of such and such a street when yeah. he least expects it. Yeah. You know? um, so, yeah, I... But I try when I'm going when I'm when I'm going past areas where I know something unfortunate has happened. I don't think of it every time. I think it depends on how preoccupied my mind is with what I'm doing at the moment. But yeah, it, it comes and goes. Yeah. So third question. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Was there any flow to that? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, Lydia, this is from her. She says. Um, my mother, as in reference to her mother, right. worked for a few years at a rape crisis center mm-hmm. and felt the worst part was taking work home with you. Did you have that problem at all, having these images and stories in your mind? Again, I'm going to chalk this up to my age. I think I thought about them, but it wasn't constant. Mm-hmm. It would kind of come and go. Like, I'd think, oh, gee, you know, like, look what I did today, you know. Somebody else was out having a beer with their buddies or, yeah. you know ringing in a cash sale for a pair of jeans and a whatever, a tank top. Um, I think I thought about it on occasion, but it wasn't pressing. And again, when you're young, you tend to bounce from these things a little bit better. I think if I were to do it now, I might think about it a little bit more. Hmm. But I was taught well. I, I will say, don't don't let these things weigh on your mind. There's nothing you can do now to change it. What's done is done. This is how we deal with it. 
we we might tell a joke, we might uh, we might look at it in a cold and calculating way. You have to do that too, even though you're only handling these films for a matter of a couple of hours. And yeah, you're looking at them because you have to make sure that the quality is there and that the specs are adhered to. And you might learn a little bit about the case, but I don't think it affected me so badly that I went home and worried about it. Mm. Now, where it did bother me, and I will say where I did maybe hang on to it and did make it personal, is if it was a, a child or a young person, especially a child, mm-hmm. that did then bother me and would and still does today bother me. Yeah, that would that uh, would that would get to anybody. Yeah, it, I find that kind of devastating and like you know what kind of a world do we live in where this happens although i know it happens yeah it's not right it's not fair and so yeah that you kind of hang on to that's like one of those dark things about the world that we live in that people tend not to want to think about too much because at the end of the day it's all these personal stories and these personal tragedies and they do happen yeah and and having being at such a young age for you having that constantly put in your face i mean yeah i can turn on the news and i'll see a story about somebody missing in the woods and i'm like oh my god that's that's so scary yeah um but then i can change the news station but if you're going to work and 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 you're developing photos of oh look this is our summer vacation and oh look here's us visiting grandma and then they're taking then oh an officer walks in the door oh you have to go into the back oh now you have to so i just feel like that must like even that like couldn't have because that would just wreck my whole day and then and then what do you do after work you go home and yeah you you go up to your room you say hi to your mom and dad and you listen to some music and you just you know get on with your life like i don't know like to me i think you learn from that at a young age to kind of give everybody an extra hug really don't take anybody for granted that's in your life whether it's a friend a family member yes this is a uh sort of a follow-up to the the last question but um, was there any amount of follow-up on your part? Did you read the papers or ever do a little investigative journalism for your own interest's sake? Or were you ever briefed on any of the outcomes? We were never briefed on the outcomes. Um, cases were kept fairly confidential because they didn't want just anybody to be loose with the information. You know, there are people out there who will confess to crimes they didn't do. And if they had a detail that was slipped by someone, they could potentially ruin the proper resolution of a case by claiming to be the perpetrator. And then the real culprit would get away with it. So, thing and, and because these cases were actively being investigated or were actively going through court they couldn't release an awful lot of information. They couldn't taint any of the evidence. So, no. Um, As far as investigating, if the newspapers or the radio or the TV decided to follow up on a case, um, we would find out about it that way. We didn't have the internet. We We could kind of glean newspapers, local articles. Microfiche. Yeah, but, you know, if you were really into it, yeah. But... Um, even then, it wouldn't even be microfiched at that point. Yeah, it would yeah. still be a file on somebody's desk. Let me be honest with you. I don't really understand the microfiche process. All I know is that in old movies yeah, where they like exactly. dial through the newspaper articles and stuff. Basically, that's what it is. <laughs> Things were put on, on film yeah. and stored that way. Precursor to digital, I guess. 
<laughs> but, um, yeah, no. So as much knowledge you might have been curious, you weren't given enough to go on. And unless you wanted to be knocking on people's doors, you really didn't want to get involved because you didn't know what you were getting yourself Yeah, you're not, you're not yeah. Nancy Drew. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you might be curious, but there was a limit to what you could find out. This is another question from Lydia, yeah. and this is actually, uh, I really like this one. Oh, I like all of them, but I like this one. Um, did this ever impact your choices in fiction, be it film, books, anything you did to relax? Some crime reporters can't do fiction, and some are steeped in it. Having to see the real grit of these cases, did it impact you one way or the other? I think I read more true crime than I would have under normal circumstances. Really? I think I do. I still enjoy a good murder mystery. Mm -hmm. uh, Give me Agatha Christie. I'm happy with her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I do read fiction to do with crime. I do read true crime. I'm a little bit choosy. I find if the cases are too new that the books have been written about, I have difficulty reading those. It's almost like it's too close. Um, I can't look at it objectively because I'm... I'm feeling for the victim. I'm feeling for the family. I can't look at it subjectively. But give me an older crime, um, a cold case. Mm -hmm. I could read about cold cases all day long. Mm -hmm. I would, yeah. I, yeah. Just in like the fascination of true crime, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that would have taken the same opportunity you did mm -hmm. because, especially nowadays, like there's so much fascination and culture built up around. Yeah serial killers and mm -hmm. cold cases any sort of unsolved murder and people have just become fascinated by it and i think it speaks to any person who just finds horrific or macabre things fascinating i know for me i find them scarier and more disturbing than any horror film because this happened exactly and what i always tell people is the most fucked up things that i've ever seen in a horror movie certainly can have an impact on me particularly some of the more gruesome movies even me like I, there are movies out that exist where i'm just like i don't yeah. i really get uncomfortable watching scenes yeah. and and they really or like you know i watch a movie and i'm like i will never watch that again not because it was bad but just because it is really needling me in a way that i don't like yeah but things that can really stick with me is a, a documentary about serial killers or a documentary yeah. about some unsolved murder exactly. you know when i when we were kids um and unsolved mysteries was on oh yeah i used to watch that show all the time but it yeah. was never i mean they always had like here's a story about a ufo here's a story about a ghost and 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 you'd be like yeah okay that was kind of interesting but it was always it was, here's here's a random murder that no one will ever solve yeah. because it was so out there mm -hmm. and chaotic and then and then that would scare me yeah. <laughs> the, the thing, though, is I find now a, not a lot of cold cases, but more and more you'll hear about really old cold cases that are being resolved mm. or that new information is coming to light and that maybe um, sooner rather than later there will be some resolution to some of these cases. And I... I find that infinitely fascinating too it's got to be um 
crazy for certain people working on these cases for so long mm-hmm. they just that's the thing that i admire most about it i mean anyone that's that's dedicated their life to to yeah. solving crimes like this yeah. has my utmost respect but i just love the idea of some guy still working on a case 20 years later they and do. then crack it yeah they do yeah they it's do. it's just something really cool about that um they find a connection with the victim or with the victim's family and it just it just keeps them going it just drives them you know did did you ever feel a sense of accomplishment for doing this like did you feel since you were you were not you weren't investigating it you never no. became a police a police officer or or, no. or, or an investigative uh, anything but you were a cog in the wheel and it was it was important because you were dealing with evidence that could make or break a case mm-hmm. Um, did that? Did the gravity of that ever sink into you, or did you ever feel I that you were really helping, or was it just a job? I think it was a job. It was something that I was asked to do, and I did. Did I think that I was helping in any way, or that I was uh, contributing? No. No, to me, at that age, and possibly even now, to be a contributor meant you. You were out there actively doing something. You were helping the situation. You know, you were doing something far more dramatic. Chalk that up to being a, a, a young person, I don't know. <laughs> I just felt always that all I was doing was handling film and giving an end product. I, I wasn't actively solving a case, uh, giving information, gleaning information would you uh, this is uh lydia's um question that i'm going to read would you take a job like that again and part two of that question is if anyone else were to end up in the same position do you have any advice for them or anything that you yourself didn't expect from seeing the things that you saw firstly would i do that kind of job i would i would do it 24 7 nowadays um that thing is that is all done in house. Yeah, you know? yeah, that that, make, that seems to make more sense yeah. to me. That's why I found this so interesting when yeah. they're just like they went to a commercial outlet yeah. and got these photos yeah. done. Yeah. And and to me, I but I guess like nowadays it's all digital, right? Well, so exactly. you're dealing with like files exactly. and yeah. thumb but drives. You have to, back in the day when we were doing this, like I say, it wasn't an everyday occurrence. Mm-hmm. It happened on occasion, enough for me to be able to say, yeah, I did it and I saw a fair bit, but but it certainly wasn't an everyday occurrence. Mm-hmm. And advice, uh, keep yourself distanced. Know that there's going to be justice for that person out there somewhere. It may be tomorrow, it may be next week, it may be 20 years from now, but it'll come. Mm-hmm. Hug your family, hug your friends, keep your head up, keep aware of what's going on around you, and um, don't take what you're seeing personally. Yeah, beef on a butcher's table. Be a little bit distanced. Yeah. Uh, don't be horrified by the gallows humor. Uh, it's cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's a thing that isn't used all the time. Yeah. But but it is used, and it does get people through. Um, yeah. Just I I think that's about it. That's not bad. Um, Lydia had a, like a follow up question, sure. and this is coming from uh, Lydia is a doer of many things. Mm-hmm. I I can't even keep track of it all. <laughs> 
But um, she also is quite the photographer herself. So I think she's got a question here that's, I think, more for the fact that she's a photography nerd more than anything else. That's okay. She wanted to know if the pictures were color or black and white and typical C41 color process or slides, what film was most commonly used. This is a question that is like so... We'll start at the beginning. They were always color. Always color. Always color. I never saw one that was black and white. Um, color could make a difference. Okay. Photographing a small piece of evidence in the grass, it's going to get lost possibly in a black and white photo, but that little red candy bar wrapper might stick out in a color photo. You know, you might catch something that you might not have seen even when you're standing on top of it. So, yeah, always in color. C41 process. Okay. Because at the time... I think there probably was some of the older stuff, the reprints and things we we were doing might have been C22, but... And I was that just like, I see, I just don't know enough. All that is, is a difference in processing. Okay. It's it's a different chemical composition of film and and processing chemicals. So is the C41 the sharper of the two? Yeah, it was the newer of the two. Okay. Yeah. So it was C22 that went to C41. And it was like huge. Yeah, like kind of like the. In, if I were to use a modern day comparison, would it be like a a seven twenty versus a ten eighty p? Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing mm-hmm. along those lines. Yeah, but yes, um, as as things were moving along, yes, it was C forty one. I wanted to ask you, yeah. like, um, did you, um, going into this, did it ever spark like an interest in pursuing anything else? in forensics or because you said that you had like a gravitated towards it 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 became an interest that you didn't necessarily know you had no because just like me when someone's i remember one time we were fielded a question like when did you when did you say i i am a fan of horror i'm going to do a horror podcast i like horror movies but i couldn't pinpoint a time because it isn't a light switch it's just all of a sudden you look back on things and you notice what you spent your time doing exactly yeah. So since you were so young mm-hmm. and introduced the and introduced to this stuff, did you ever want to go anywhere other than photography? Because you stayed you stayed in photography for a long, long time. For a long time. So you, but you you never wanted to shift over to crime scene photography. You never wanted to go from the the development process of these things to actually being on the scene yourself did that ever occur to you no because first of all i wasn't particularly an academic person i did not do well scholastically so i always kind of thought that any further education or any education formal education Mm -hmm. in my interests or whatever would be kind of wasted or almost unavailable Mm -hmm. since i couldn't get what was in my head down onto paper in an effective manner. Mm-hmm. So I kind of never really thought, okay, you're capable of doing this or... Like, hey, I could I could do this, this too. Yeah, there was exactly. never that yeah, thought. Yeah, there was never that. Secondly, I think by the time I was thinking that maybe I could change a career or that I could look at doing something different, I was married. I had started a family. Whoops. Uh, I had... <laughs> I never, I don't regret it for a second. <laughs> Wait till this podcast comes up, then you might regret it. Uh, maybe, but, you know, let's say up until this very second, no, I, I didn't regret anything. You know. um, okay, I could really embarrass you by saying, you know what, I really love you. 
but I won't. <laughs> I always thought that, like, I, I'm, I'm wondering how people are going to regard this because it's just like, this is the first bonus episode we're ever going to do, and you're my technically my first guest interview that I've ever had. That's scary and, and, mess that I am a guest. And it's like my mom. I, I listen to your podcast, too, so what can I say? It's like, it's like a shitty cable access show where I don't have anybody, so I'm just like, hey, mom, come yeah, on. Yeah, but you're not in your parents' basement. You do have your own space. Well, that's true, but I mean... <laughs> It's not, I don't know if that's helping. Uh, sure it is. What the hell? Anyway, yeah, I, 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 listen, I still dream about, oh, someday I'm going to do this, someday I'm going to do that. It hasn't happened yet. Life keeps getting in the way. Yeah. But you never know. I mean, maybe one of these days somebody will be reading about me in the paper, 90-year-old lady goes back to school and gets her degree in criminology or forensics or something. Who knows? Be like uh, uh, the Grandma Moses of the true crime world? Yeah, exactly, exactly. In the meantime, I do follow cold cases online. Um, I do poke around in old newspaper articles just to see what's happening. Um, If anybody is interested out there, there is uh, the Doe Network online, which um, deals with unresolved cases, missing people, unidentified people, uh, if you're interested, or if you think you may be able to help out, identify somebody, or if you might have some information. No, one more time. What's that website? The Doe Network. The Doe Network. Yeah. Okay. Um, check them out. If you're on the American side, there is the Charlie Project. Um, they also catalog missing people. I think they strip. Uh, they stick mainly with the states, mm-hmm. but. Who knows, you know, there might be somebody out there that you recognize. There might be something that you saw that you don't even know is important. Uh, go check them out. See if yeah. you can help. There's lots, actually, there's lots of lots of websites, but those are the two main ones that come to mind. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Now you have this, the internet now, which you didn't yeah. have back then. And so, mm-hmm. you know, globally speaking, the people can piece information together a lot faster. They certainly um, can. And with modern techniques, uh, you know, uh, dedicated police officers and forensic yeah. experts and yeah. uh, is it pathologists? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, um, uh, all the technology available to them. And it's always amazing to me. Like, it, I always... With all the stuff that's out there mm-hmm. and how much better the science around all this stuff is, it still gets me that when they can't figure it out, I'm always mm-hmm. like, holy smokes, this must be really hard then. Yeah. You know, there must be such like a conflation of circumstances where... Well, there are. And in some cases, it may be that somebody was never reported missing. Yeah. Uh, in the case of someone who's unidentified. Yeah. Um, it could be the lapse of time, perhaps witnesses, perhaps family members, friends are deceased as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a million different reasons for cases going cold, unresolved. Did you find that like your interest in this stuff makes you more paranoid of people? Do you like, cause that's the thing about there's kind of like an out of sight, out of mind aspect to a lot of the negative shit that's in the world. Do you feel because you, were so steeped in it from such a young age and you continued it with it onto your interests as you became older. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like, you know, you, you look at people strange or you kind of wonder about everybody or do you feel like it helps you cope with it or? Um, I'm not afraid. I, you can't, you can't go around living 
your life afraid. Mm-hmm. You certainly can't. Otherwise, you would never leave your bedroom or. <laughs> <laughs> I think you or just like. Life. I think you just like. He like did a haunting window until why I never leave my bedroom. Uh, no, yeah, no, no, no. I, I wasn't referring to that at all, at all, at all. I'm just saying you can't live in fear. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen to anybody anywhere. And like you said, none of us are getting out of this alive. No. But, um, yeah, my best advice is just be aware of who's around you as the world is a, a weird place, but remember, it, there isn't a criminal lurking around every corner. Accidents happen, illnesses happen, all kinds of things happen. So you've just got to live one day at a time, be unafraid, be aware of your surroundings. Um, if you like to wonder, yeah, you can kind of look at people's houses and go, hmm, what's going on behind your doors that nobody knows about? Yeah. Um, that's the thought that I have the most often, especially every time you hear a story in the news about, oh, yeah. this person has had somebody locked up in their basement for 15 years, 10 years, yeah, 20 and years, nobody yeah. and nobody knew. And yeah. and I just can't help it. Every time I walk past the house, I'm just like, oh, I wonder what's in there. And then I think that that's the wrong thought to have because you want to think the best of everybody. Yeah. But and, and, and honestly, as much as this does happen, statistically, it is fairly rare. It is, yeah. But I think because the world is so small now, you hear about every instance. Mm-hmm. We talk about when we were kids growing up, you know, and and how we would play out on the streets until the, the street lights came. Kids disappeared. Mm-hmm. It happened. You know, go and look at some of the cold cases or some of the old cases that have since been resolved from the 1930s, the 1940s, the 1950s. Kids disappeared. Mm-hmm. It happened. But you didn't hear about it unless it was a really high-profile case. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear about it. You didn't worry about it. You put your kids outside to play, and at the end of the day, they came home safe. Why do you think that you didn't really hear about it? Was it because of the fact that news traveled slowly yeah. in those days? I think I think it was because you got your you got your morning news, your afternoon or evening news, and it was localized as well. There wasn't so much international you you were kind of everybody seemed to be focused on their own city what was going on so if something happened across the world you maybe didn't hear about it for months or weeks or years and if you weren't particularly interested you may not have heard about it at all now your information is coming at you at lightning speeds Mm -hmm. just lightning speeds almost as soon as something happens the world knows about it Mm -hmm. You know, how fast, you can't be fast enough. It, it's there, it's on the internet. It's trending on Twitter. Exactly, yeah. Before the, the news stations yeah, even have it. Exactly. I. It's quite often I'll go to our local news station or to um, our international news station and they're showcasing news that you heard about a month ago. Yeah. And you're going, oh, I already read that on Reddit or Twitter or Instagram or, you know, somebody had 10,000 pictures of it up because they were there front and center. Yeah. It's all old news. It gets it gets to you so quickly, and and like I say, the world is so small. I have like a non-related question yeah. that I've been meaning to ask you for a long time, and since I got you in front of a microphone, <laughs> may as well. Many okay. times on the show, uh, Lydia and I do horror movies from 
old decades. Right. And we've got a lot of really old stuff coming up, I think, kind of. Yeah. Um, I definitely know I want to go a little bit more classic for a couple of times. We'll see if Lydia thinks that's okay. Yeah. But we seem to do a lot of stuff from the 70s. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed about the culture... Presented to me in a movie, mind you. Right. I don't know if this is fact. I wasn't there. Right. But there's a lot of like that sort of loosey-goosey attitude of we're just going to drive in a car somewhere and go s- drive to like a field or like, oh, look, there's a house. We're going to go explore that for no real reason. Or like, yeah. oh, we're going to go swimming here. And like, that's what we're doing. Was it like that really? Like, was it, was it just, we're getting into a car and driving and. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so much urban kids. Yeah. Maybe if you lived rural, you mm-hmm. know, a small, really small town where there really wasn't much to do except maybe get in your car and drive up and down Main Street, you know, or how um, if you wanted to go have a beer behind everybody's back while the only place was the abandoned farm half a mile out outside of town, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Urban kids, maybe not so much. Yeah. You know, unless they were exploring an abandoned building mm-hmm. for, you know, the heck of it, it's there, why not? I th- I think a lot of the film was a hook. Yeah. It I it was how are we gonna get these kids in a in a situation where a serial killer could stop them for hours without anybody realizing what was going on? Mm. Well, we gotta get them to How do you get the lambs to the slaughter, basically? Exa- yeah, exactly. You, you've got to put them in a situation where they're on a secluded beach or they're driving randomly in a car or they're exploring a house where they know they shouldn't be. Yeah. It's, it's sort of that forbidden, like, you wouldn't really do this in, in real life, but on film we can do that and we can give you the fear and the titillation and the excitement, the thrills, whatever it is you get out of this, mm-hmm. we can give that to you on film without you having to actually go and swim at a secluded beach or explore an abandoned building or, you know, drive down a random back road. Hell, we used to go down random back roads with you guys when you were kids. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Just to see what was down there. Yeah, I kind of, I I vaguely remember that, going through fields. Yeah, but that was not in the 70s. Yeah, the 80s. Yeah. The 80s, 80s. when I was a young lad. you were just a a small thing. (laughs) I always found it interesting yeah. when they would do that. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about the fact that there was cases going on in the early 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s. Kids going missing, people going missing. Yeah. All, all, all like strange, strange murders and stuff like that. Yeah. Why do you think that um, horror movies never reflected that up? Not until the seventies. It wasn't really until it wasn't really until movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Black Christmas or Psycho. That was sixties, but again, we're getting to the late sixties. Yeah, uh, where where people were, oh, the strangers could be the the killer, someone you don't know, or will stalk you randomly and maliciously. It, horror in in the eras where things were still going on. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, murder and kidnapping and all that kind of stuff isn't new. Yeah. But horror films reflected more um, gothic horror. It was more monsters. It was uh, more supernatural stuff. There was crime, but but it was usually... It, it was less randomized. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that you could just go to a house and this whole family is a bunch of crazy cannibals or 
Or you could just be at a sorority house with your girlfriends and all of a sudden some random person who will never get caught will start killing you. Or um, any of the sort of uh, kidnap and torture movies that have cropped up. Like, why do you think it took so long for cinema to catch up with what was already going on in the world? Do you think it had something to do with the fact that, like you said, the news wasn't really reporting on it? I mean, even Psycho that was... Uh, came out, uh, I think, late 60s, I'm pretty sure. You know, that was loosely based off of a book that was loosely based off of uh, the Ed Gein case. Yeah. Um, where people finally... Not that he was like... A, a, he was Not like he was like the first no. crazy serial killer that people yeah. ever but heard about. He was, he was incredibly publicized. Yeah, because it was such a big deal. Because he was so far outside of the norm, people couldn't couldn't even conceive. Like, could you wrap your head around the things that he was doing? Yeah. So people were interested in that. They were curious about it. They were. Do you think it sparked from there? Because I, I do. I, I I think as as cases like that became public. Mm-hmm. and became sensationalized and people were kind of eating it up and being like oh you know horrified and and like but they couldn't but look away exactly it's sort of like that rubbernecking when you're passing by an accident you can't you don't want to look but you can't help it mm-hmm. that kind of thing and i think would it not make sense that some creative mind out there somewhere said oh Hey, look at the reaction of people. What would happen if we tried making a movie Mm -hmm. that brought out those responses in people in a safe environment where they're sitting in a darkened theater, but they're safe. They're going to go outside and the sun is going to be shining and they're going to have popcorn breath and whatever. You know, like it's safe, but they're getting all of that sensation thrown at them if it if it was a failure so be it they never would have made another film Mm -hmm. if it was a success boom you've got a whole industry yeah and it was a success it was a success for a lot of people too not just in the film industry but the news outlets themselves exactly because of the the attention that this got and then all of a sudden you had the so-called serial killer boom mm-hmm. um all through the 60s yeah. the 70s into the 80s yeah. at, at the, such highly publicized cases yeah. um through the zodiac killer to the yeah. manson family yeah. um and and then more movies par- uh, cropping up that reflected mm-hmm. people like that in yeah. our real life yeah. yeah and and then and then all through the while like you had already sort of been already steeped in this before the rest yeah. of the world caught up just because of what you chose to do for your profession just because i stuck my hand up when nobody else did (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but that's where i think or one of the places that it may have come from yeah there's no real way to to quantify it but But i I certainly think it played a role Mm -hmm. and and i really think it was just Bam, somebody was in the right place at the right time, had the right idea, and it took off. Mm-hmm. You know, because look at how many years have we been fascinated with Jack the Ripper? Yeah. Over 100 years? Yeah. Serial killing just seems to be something that everybody likes to read about, but nobody wants to experience. Yeah. So how do you experience that? Or how do you, 
how do you get that kind of icky thrill? You, you either read about it in a fiction book or in a true crime book, or you go and see a horror well, we'll probably wrap it up right there. I don't really know how to end it. Typically speaking, when I'm doing this with Lydia, uh, I wait for her to say something funny, and then I just say, on that note, uh, uh, I'm West Knight. <laughs> no, this is actually kind of a grim episode. There's not a lot of yucks to be had, but really, it was really interesting stuff. And so I don't know how often these bonus episodes will come. I don't always know who they'll be with, but I kind of feel like uh, if the mood strikes me we'll do another one and let me uh let me know guys if you like this type of stuff um do you like my mom and i know you do um <laughs> i'm embarrassed now no don't be embarrassed you did a good job you did a good uh, job thank you um well no, in a sort of a grim way yeah but I, I again like i i can't going back to what i said in the yeah. intro like it's really important for this is my way of, of, of maintaining a little bit of history about your life that I didn't know. No. Well, um, it's not so, I mean, I just don't think it... I just... There are things about my life that I just don't think are particularly gripping. Well, there's things about... But, but like, the, the, the fascinating thing about that is, it's like, there's things about everyone's life that is gripping. There's things about everyone's life that is worth talking about. Everyone's got a story. Um, so, I think that it's important to get this. I think this is like really fruitful for me anyway. Oh. I know I really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad you did. I um, enjoyed talking to you too. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, on that note, um, you've been listening to Wes Dead Air Nipe talk to his mommy, Ruth Nipe, about her job developing crime scene photos for a little bit. And who knew that she would eventually have the greatness that is me. <laughs> you are great. You can't spell awesome without Wes. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight, and you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>